listening to the Mental Gains Podcast, and I'm your host, Verna Mullins. And I'm Matt Russell. In the last episode, Verna and I talked about the vast discrepancy between the number of Ohioans who need access to mental health services and the number of behavioral health workers who are available to provide those services. We discussed this in the context of what challenges that creates for current mental health professionals, uh, challenges like burnout and staff turnover. But in this episode, we focus on what challenges this creates for the mental health consumer when there's just simply not enough services to meet their demands. We talk to mental health consumers about their difficulties with the current mental health system. Clients discuss issues that they have had with mental health insurance coverage, effects of a decreased workforce, and the difficulties of receiving consistent care. We asked each client three basic questions. What has been your biggest challenge assessing mental health services? What are some of the issues you've experienced with turnover? And do you feel you are getting consistent care from providers? Although all of the clients we interview in this podcast are members of the Connection Center, they are getting a variety of services at all different agencies um, throughout Wood County in Northwest Ohio. What we did, we grabbed an audio recorder and interviewed seven clients around the Connection Center. And when we started listening back, compiling these interviews, certain themes began to emerge and it was like they were all telling a very similar story. So instead of featuring these interviews back to back to back, uh, we made a montage. So they're telling their story together. Uh, You're going to hear from Janet, Leslie, Libby, Katrina, Andrew, Lisa, and Joey. And they all started by answering Verna's first question. What has been your biggest challenge accessing mental health services? I did not get Medicaid. I just got Medicare. And it's very hard to find a therapist that'll cover just Medicare. Finding someone that meets that need of mine, they are few and far between. And then once you do find one, you need to navigate the insurance system to make sure it's covered by your insurance. And it can be very overwhelming at times, especially if I'm not feeling well, if I'm experiencing symptoms, and at the same time I'm having to navigate getting my appointments and making sure they're covered by insurance, making sure it's the type of provider that I need. Yes, and, and I know that there's been times where um, I tried to help you find someone um, that was specialized in those modalities, um, but we couldn't find anyone that your insurance um, took. Right, and I a lot of times end up compromising and getting a level of care that maybe doesn't completely meet my needs, but for lack of any other treatment provider, I have to go with them. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, when you go to a community health, you don't really get a lot of choice. You don't pick your counselors. You don't even know who's available to pick. Mm-hmm. And the same with doctors and the same with case managers. So what do you do if you can't find someone in your area to serve you under your health insurance? What, I've had to go do? tell a type. I have had to go to a TV and talk to that person instead of seeing them individually. And that's not to the, the person that has the insurance to have to do what the insurance says I have to do. If I could change anything, what would it be? My doctor, uh, uh, for one, 
<laughs> seeing me on that uh, screen and see me in person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good answer. That is a good When answer. I first saw him, I, I saw him in person. I mean, how would anybody feel? Think about it. Your first time seeing the doctor, you saw him in person. But after that, every time you saw him, you saw him on the screen. How would that make you feel? I mean, there are issues for me with telehealth. I don't believe you can still provide a good level of care when you can't see the nonverbal body language cues through a Zoom call. I think that that would be difficult, and I think that it would impede progress if we weren't able to meet in person. That's my own personal opinion about it. So you finally get into a provider. Well, you might be settling for a provider, but nonetheless, you're seeing somebody. And then sometimes they leave. And Libby will tell you how often that happens. And this happens a lot um, where there's a turnover and then there's this whole new system and way to do things. And that's really upsetting to the client and to, I think, I would think the people that work there. I've been through so many therapists and psychiatrists, it's unreal. I've been shuffled around for a while. Um, I can't remember everybody's name. Um, my psychiatrist gave me one day notice that she wasn't going to be there. I lost my therapist on Monday. The doctor called me Thursday, said that she was not going to be available no more. So I went to a different agency, had to start all over again with my past. And it's very, very stressful to do that. It hurts emotionally. I feel the, the pain again from what happened. The biggest issue with staff turnover is having to start all over again with my story. I live with complex post-traumatic stress disorder and an eating disorder. And every time there's turnover, every time I have to start with a new therapist, every time I have to start with a new psychiatrist, every time I have to start all over with a provider, I have to tell my story again. And to be honest, that can be very traumatizing, telling the story again and again and again in, in an attempt to get proper treatment. People like us, like, like me, that brings back flashbacks mm -hmm. when I have to talk about stuff like that. Or I suffer from night tears, you know what I mean? If I talk about it and open that door again, that those demons come out. Oh, I don't like it because um, the staff that when we came in is like all new staff now. And they seem like they've all gone on to different jobs and stuff. And I understand that. A lot of them go to other places for better jobs, better salaries, whatever it is. But I've had a lot of that as well. Mm -hmm. I've probably been through maybe six to seven therapists, probably. And that could be so exhausting, as you heard everybody say. But what about the flip side? Uh, what, what about uh, a success story here? Because I think that could offer some contrast and, and show people how beneficial to one's life, it can be to have consistent care. Uh, Verna and I talked to Joey, and he's had consistent care for over three decades, which is ultra rare. Uh, here he is. Have you had a case manager before? Yes, I've I've had one since I since I first started. Oh yeah, because you've had the same case manager yeah, so, for. Yeah, so you're lucky. You're so lucky. How long have you had the same case manager? 
35 years. And what, what do you think the benefits of having that consistent manager, what, what has that done for you? He's helped me out a lot, especially with my bills there and making sure my rent's paid and everything. And I have money throughout the week there to spend on groceries, toiletries, everything else that's mm-hmm. needed. Yeah, yeah. You have somebody kind of on call to, to answer. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're extremely <clears throat> lucky in having that. And yeah. a lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice to include like a right, success story. Right. So, yeah. so Joey, you've had consistent care yeah. with your psychiatrist and your case manager and payee for several, several years. Since 1987. Mm-hmm. It's been going good ever since. It's been going good ever since for 35 years. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's amazing. I trust him. Besides being my case manager, my representative payee, he's helped me. He's helped me get through a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that's been hard for me, and I couldn't ask for anything better. Once in a lifetime, somebody can get consistent care for 35 years. But for most of our clients, the care has been inconsistent. Do you feel you are getting consistent care from providers? No, I can't tell you how many years I've been in treatment. Decades. I've been in treatment off and on for decades. I have not had a consistent care provider with one exception. There was a period of time where I had the same therapist for three years, and I made significant progress with that therapist. I'm thankful for that opportunity because it's what's kept me healthy so far now that I'm trying to juggle finding a new therapist. I did finally get into a new therapist that was covered by my insurance. The new therapist doesn't have the qualifications that I'm looking for, but they're the next best thing. I'm settling. How often are you able to see the psychiatrist or able to see the therapist? I'm well established with my psychiatrist and I see that person once every eight weeks and pretty consistently every eight weeks, but that's for medication management only. I'm able to see my therapist. I just got a new therapist that I waited six months for my initial assessment. It's another every three months before I can see my therapist again. So I'm averaging seeing a therapist once every three months when I believe I need to see a therapist much more frequently than that. How often do you think that you need to or would like to see a therapist? I would love to see my therapist once a week. Mm -hmm. I think it would keep me on a good path towards recovery. Yeah. um, Seeing someone once every three months, that, that doesn't seem like good care. Do you ever have to wait a long time? Sometimes two months instead of a month wait to see the the therapist. It all depends on her schedule. I try to do it every month, but her her schedule doesn't always do that for me. She's a busy lady. In an ideal world, how many times per month or per year do you think that you would like to have therapy? At least once a month. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just seems like you're starting to depend on that, that therapist to help you through things. And then when you have to wait two months, it's like you have a fear of not knowing what's right to do. So here's a scenario. If somebody is having suicidal thoughts and or somebody decides hey, it's time, I want to get help for my substance use disorder. And they're told they have to wait 
two months, three months to get into a provider. What do you think would happen? I think that's disastrous. I think that when people reach out for help, they should have access to help in a timely manner, not in a three-month period, not in a one-month period. I think they should be able to access their care immediately, just like you would for any other medical condition. If I was having a heart attack, the ER would not ask me to wait three months to see a cardiologist. It doesn't make any sense to make people wait for for their services. Mm -hmm. Uh, With such a, a huge wait time between appointments, what do you do in the meantime if you need support or you're in crisis or you're not doing well? If I need support, I've built up a support system by coming to the Connection Center. I come here for my meals. That way I'm accountable about my food. With my eating disorder, that works very, very well. I also come here to get support from my peers. I come to participate in groups. Um, Well, my biggest support, honestly, is here at the Connection Center. That's my biggest support, honestly. Um, If I was to be out and having a bad day, um, like I said, I was having a rough morning, a rough morning this morning and I came over here and I'm you know totally great you know it's a good day I just kind of find other resources and I know other people it's probably hard for that Mm -hmm. you know what I mean but because you really got to kind of know yourself and be like okay like I'm having a bad day what can I do to focus myself other than you know freaking out or having anxiety or being in a depression you know what I mean so I'm also very involved with the local NAMI programs and I belong to a support group that meets once a week and I don't usually miss that support group meeting. It keeps me uh, in recovery mode. And then just the group of people that I surround myself with and the phone calls that I make. If I'm in crisis, I have a crisis action plan now. That's something that I didn't have years ago, and that's thanks to NAMI. change anything about the current mental health care system, what would it be? Being able to go to groups without paying $25 walk-in fee because I was in a real good group and then I found out my insurance was $25 copay every time I walked into the group in the country. They say, we got to help people with mental illness. Well, you try to go to a group and then all of a sudden you're, you're penalized for $25 each time you go into a group. So I get confused what the government really wants us to do. I think we need so many more people that are able to help and willing to help those people living with mental health issues and substance use disorders. We simply just don't have enough service providers out there. We need everything from case managers to peer support specialists, social workers, therapists. We are understaffed as a nation. What do you think could fix that problem? I think that the mental health field needs to be as competitive as any other as any other occupation. I think that we need to offer competitive wages to people coming into the field. I think again we need to offer caseloads that are manageable that not only allow the individual working to be less overwhelmed, but also to provide a quality and a level of care to individuals out there that's good, not one that's rushed. 
It's important to note here that the clients we're interviewing for this episode, uh, they are the success stories because they're, they're resourceful. They, they realize that they need to make connections outside of just their therapists, their psychiatrists, their case managers. Yeah, they, they've realized that they need to build their own mental health support system on top of the system that already exists. And so we're just really proud to share their stories. But anyhow, thank you for listening, guys. I'm Matt Russell, producer, host, and I also made the music for the episode. And I'm Verna Mullins, the other host and producer. Chris Pfeiffer is the executive producer of the Mental Gains podcast. And come visit us, drop a comment, say hey at WGTE org slash mental games. Bye. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the city of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.